He needs it. Our families need it. Amen. And then finally, last announcement. Mark your calendar for September 17th. Dr. Rhea Cooper will be here speaking in the 11 o'clock service. Pastor talked about this Wednesday night. This is going, she is a uh, mental health professional. She's going to be talking about mental health from a biblical perspective. And uh, we want everybody to come, bring somebody with you, and let's be blessed by the Word of God in this very specific, amen. If you got it, say amen. Worship, we're going to the Lord in prayer. And this morning we have a very urgent and very specific prayer today. Uh, Brother Daryl Weber, our district superintendent, has called on every church in the state of Louisiana to carve out some time this morning, this day, to pray for our state. How many of you have read about, heard about the wildfires that are, that are burning all over the state? Um, it is becoming very urgent. It's becoming very critical. And uh, this is, a, a, a lot of it is over in the southwestern corner of our state. Um, and there, there's, uh, as, of, as of Thursday when Brother Weber sent the, the prayer request, there had been no loss of life or property. I know it's a very, uh, the, the situation is changing rapidly. I have not gotten an update today, but so far, uh, we, we've not had any loss of property or life. But the fires have come very close to, to several of our churches, our apostolic churches, and uh, several of our apostolic families have had to evacuate their homes. So it is, it is urgent, especially in the Maryville area. And Brother Brad Starnes, our very own Brother Brad, has been called out, called up. He is in that area this morning helping to fight the fire. There, there's a, a, a strain on our resources in that area, so they're calling for firefighters all over the area. Brother Brad is one of those. So, very specific prayer request today. We want to pray, first of all, for Brother Brad and all of our first responders, that God will protect them, give them wisdom, give them favor, and help them fight these fires. We also want to pray, secondly, for the protection of lives and property. Um, uh, that goes for our, our churches, our people, their, their uh, real estate, all of that. And then third, and probably, well, I don't know if one's more important than the other, but very important, we need rain. We need God to give us rain in this state. And Brother Weber pointed out in his article, he said, it is biblical to pray for rain. And, and you know, in our postmodern world, we don't think about praying for rain very often. The, the, the food and the agriculture and all that just kind of happens like it's supposed to. But we're in a place now where we need rain. And God can send rain. He can send an abundance of rain. Amen. 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 And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray. So for our first responders, for property and life uh, protection, and then for rain. Can we pray together as we open our service this morning along that line? Jesus, we enter into your gates with thanksgiving. We enter into your courts with praise. You are good, Lord. And as much as we praise you in the good times, Lord, we're praising you even in a challenging time because we know that you are able and we know that your hand is in our hand. And we know, Lord, that we don't face anything that you don't face with us and that you don't lead us into and out of. I pray for our first responders, Lord. I pray for Brad Starnes, Lord, and all of the firefighters and all those that are out there on the front lines. Protection, Lord. Wisdom, strength, Lord, stamina, Lord, to fight and to do what needs to be done in an emergency situation, in a very critical situation. I pray, Lord, for protection on property. I pray for protection of our churches. I pray for protection of our families, Lord, for their homes, their real estate.
their lives, God. You were able, Lord, send angels to encamp round about. Lord, put your hand over like a dome, Lord, like a mantle and like a hedge, Lord, to protect, Lord, and to keep the fires at bay. And then, Lord, I pray for the abundance of rain, God, on our crops, on our fields, on our land, God, on our state. We need rain. And I know that you're able to send it, Lord. You're able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think. Lord, let it happen in a great way. Let it happen in the marvelous name of Jesus. Oh, send up a shout. Send up a shout of praise right now. Send up a shout of praise. Say the name Jesus. Shout the name Jesus. Hallelujah.
says, And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? Have you ever had that feeling where your heart is burning during worship service or during the message being preached? So I want to preach to you for a little while about where are the fire starters? Well, if you ever had that feeling, it's the Holy Ghost inside of you. God has started a fire in your soul. As Pastor said in his message titled Flashpoint Igniter Fizzle last year, I do not believe it's possible to have the Holy Ghost without the fire. Don't let circumstances put your fire out. You need to keep that fire with you and be on fire for Jesus. Fire spreads. So spread it to the people around you. Josh Herring once said that he was driving down the hall, uh, highway, not hallway, with his family to go preach, and he saw fires on the side of the road. As he approached the first one, it appeared to be very small. The second one was bigger, the third fire was greater, but the fourth fire, it was massive. And as he got off the highway, he said the Lord spoke to him and said, if my people were to start a fire, there wouldn't be anything to put it out. Not even the devil would be able to touch us. The spiritual fire would be massive. We have to keep the fire going. Leviticus 6.12 tells us, And the fire upon the altar shall be burning in it. It shall, be not, it shall not be put out, and the priest shall burn wood on every morning, and lay the burnt offering in order upon it. And he shall burn thereon the fat of the peace offerings. When pastor or anyone else comes and preaches and pours their heart out to us, they're laying down the wood to burn. Our job is to come to the altar and take action. We have to ignite the wood with our praise. Jeremiah 20 verse 9 says, Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name, but his word was in my heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Jeremiah, he couldn't contain not he couldn't he had to talk about God he had to speak to everyone he had to speak up if you're ever wondering how you can demonstrate the fire in your soul there's an answer you just hire by serving in the church another way to show the fire burning in your soul is just to worship God with all your might run the aisles jump lift your hands clap your hands start a prayer circle just do something Fire doesn't have to stay in the church. You can bring it out. You can spread the fire outside the church too. Spread it at school. Spread it at work. Spread it at the grocery store. Spread it everywhere. We have to keep adding to the fire. We cannot become complacent with quote unquote normal church. And I feel as if we have a fire burning in our church right now. And now is the time that we need to fuel the fire. So, in closing, the question I want. Will you let the fire burn and spread, or will you let it dwindle down and die?
time y'all sing that is when you end it wait a few minutes and then kick back in with it twice as fast just do a double time thing think y'all can Chris can you hang with that you think I think you can amen I love to praise the Lord and Psalm 150 says use all of that to praise the Lord praise the Lord praise the Lord Praise the Lord! I feel the Holy Ghost here today. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 
like the, the Spirit of God and the Spirit of the people are trying me right now. One is saying, just let this go. And the other is saying, no, you've got a message to preach. So I'm caught in between today. Thank you, Jesus. I can, hear, I can hear Brother Dave's voice in my ear right now when he read Psalm 150 last Sunday. Hallelujah, God in his sanctuary. Hallelujah, God in his sanctuary. Let everything that hath breath, hallelujah. today. Let's give him some appreciation. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Um, I want to remind you again, it was announced this morning, I want to remind you again, I talked to you past couple of Wednesday nights about soul winning, reaching out to people, unchurched people, etc. I would like to announce for our first Tuesday night prayer on uh, September 5th. I would like to designate that as a focus prayer meeting. I'm going to go a little old school with you. I'd like for you to bring a photograph, or if nothing else, just write the name down of somebody you'd like to win to the Lord. I'd like for you to bring that to Tuesday night prayer with you on September 5, and I'll give you instruction in that prayer meeting what we're going to do with that. So remember that. The Spirit of the Lord has set an amazing platform for what I want to bring to you today. John chapter 5, verse 1. We welcome all of our guests here today. Thank you all so very much for being with us here at Grace Church. John chapter 5, verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these, in these five porches, lay a great multitude of impotent folk, powerless people. People that were blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down, an angel. Everybody say an angel. An angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Troubled. Didn't make it peaceful. Stirred it up. Troubled water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. The word troubled means to cause someone to overflow with something. To cause someone to overflow with something. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity. We don't know how old he was. But he had an infirmity for 38 years. That's depending on how you interpret generation, that's almost a generation, 38 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew 
that he had now been a long time in that case, said unto him, Will you be made whole? And the impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus said unto him, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was whole and took up his bed and walked. And on that same day was the Sabbath. We find a lot of comfort, particularly in Psalm 23. Because there's a part of that psalm that says, He leadeth me beside the still waters. The song Bridge Over Troubled Water is a song by the American folk duo Simon and Garfunkel. It was released in January of 1970. Bridge Over Troubled Water entered the Billboard Hot 100 Top 40, 1970. It jumped to number three the following week before climbing to number one. And during a six-week run at the top, the most for any single that year. Man has always sought for a bridge over troubled water, but not today. I want to talk to you today about the purpose of troubled waters. The purpose of troubled water. Thank you for standing. Say, God, thank you for the word. You may be seated. Thank you. We have in the Gospels a faithful record. Luke said in Acts chapter 1 verse 1, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. His doing and his teaching were interwoven because what he taught explained what he did. And what he did confirmed what he taught. So accordingly in John chapter 5 in the chapter we just read out of, you have a miracle and then following that miracle, you have a sermon. I'm not going to get into the sermon part of it today, but I definitely want to talk to you about the miracle part of it. The miracle was the cure of an impotent, powerless man. Most commentaries say that he was paralyzed. And he had been that way for 38 years. We think when we pray a prayer, if it's not answered in a week or two, maybe a month, that we just give up and God's not going to do it. I don't know how long this man had gone to the pool of Bethesda either, but I have a feeling he was there for a long time because he was able to quickly recite the history of it, what happened at that pool, and then quickly gave an excuse as to why he could never be included to be a part of it. I don't know how many people, it's, it seems countless to me through the years, after some 40 plus years of ministry, of all the people that have come up with excuses, that I prayed about this pastor, I prayed about that pastor, I believe God for this, I believe God for that, and I gave God like three days. And he didn't do it. So I just don't believe God is going to answer my prayer. I believe God is setting a very powerful precedent in this scripture setting. 
This man didn't have this infirmity for 38 days or 38 months. 38 years is a long time. That's older than a lot of people that's in attendance in this building today that he could not move his limbs. But he apparently showed up faithfully at the greatest possibility where a miracle for him could happen. And I'm glad he showed up that day. Because had he not been there, he could have lived out the rest of his life paralyzed. But he came back one more time and had an encounter with the presence and power of God that changed his life forever. Only John records this miracle. Jesus performed this miracle in Jerusalem. It's interesting to note when you read Jesus' miracles, the vast majority of them happened in a region of Israel called Galilee. Galilee was at the northern part of Israel, kind of close to what is now the Israel country of Lebanon border. The other three gospel writers pretty much kept their miracle telling confined to what Jesus did in Galilee. But John chose to expand his recording of Jesus' miracles a little bit further than that. As a matter of fact, this takes us all the way to Jerusalem. Jerusalem being approximately kind of in the center north and southwise of Israel, it would have taken Jesus about three days to walk from Galilee, such a fertile bed for the miraculous, to go into Jerusalem that was steeped in a religious tradition that really allowed no room for the miraculous. And it's interesting to me that if God chose to use this strange and amazing event of going to a pool of water and having an angel to cause tsunami-type waves in it for a season of time, and it only happened once in a while, that he chose to do it in Jerusalem, a place known for being steeped in religious complacency. Again, this miracle happened in Jerusalem, who was embedded in the tradition of the law of Moses. John is very particular in the way he articulates this writing. He said the exact or more precise place where this miracle occurred was at a sheep market. It is believed that men who came to the temple to offer up sheep for a sacrifice, they would bathe or wash that sheep in the pool of Bethesda. I want you to notice with me today that if Jesus chose a place to perform the miraculous, he could not have chosen a better place. The Bible introduces us, first of all, that the place was called Bethesda. Bethesda means the house of mercy. And it is surrounded by five porches. The number five in the Bible represents grace. So at this place, listen to pastor, mercy is manifested because you don't get what you do deserve. 
But there's also a manifestation of grace that says you will get what you don't deserve. I want to, exp- I want to do my best to expound. I rise to tell everybody in this building today. I don't know what all you think of what the church is and the purpose of the church. But I submit to you today, if there is ever a Bible type in the church or a Bible type of the church, it's this pool of Bethesda with its five porches. We've all been heard it all of our lives, most of us have, that the church is a hospital. You can be physically sick, spiritually sick, mentally sick, emotionally sick. It doesn't matter where in life you are. You can come to the church because at the church that God designed, at the church that God desired to have, you can get good things instead of the bad things that you deserve because of sin. But you also get freed from deserving things that you've done living a life of sin. The perfect manifestation of grace and mercy. I submit to you today. I submit to everyone under the sound of my voice today. That if you've come today with an infirmity. Whether it be physical, spiritual, domestic, financial. It doesn't matter. You're at a place that God welcomes you. You don't have to be perfect to come here. You don't even have to be a good person to come here. You can come here just as you are and experience the greatest manifestation of God that there is. And it's called grace and it's called mercy and it's here today for whosoever will. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's interesting to me. John is very clear in this story that when, the, when you arrived at the pool of Bethesda, if you were a tourist and you just wanted to go check it out, if you were a person that hasn't been there in a long time, Grace Church, you got to hear what I'm about to say. When you walked into the doors of the pool of Bethesda, you didn't walk into a perfect place. You didn't even walk into a pleasant place. You didn't walk into a place where you would want to stay because the Bible describes the people who attended that place on a regular basis. It is represented in the voice of a man who had a disease and infirmity for 38 years. And he never wearied going to the pool of Bethesda even though he knew the people there were not perfect. The people there were not whole. As a matter of fact, the people there were no better off than he was. But when he arrived, he couldn't make it better either. Does that sound kind of like the church? You can come like you are, and when you come, you'll find people that suffer the same things you do, that experience the same things you do. So, I don't know why Jesus chose this man. I don't even know his name. I don't know why he chose him. But my feeling 
is because he had become an elder, a deacon in the church of imperfect people. He became a senior member. He, become a, he had become a golden member of the church of sickly people. I love this story. He perhaps had the most experience and perhaps he was quick to offer up Jesus in perfect harmony with probably a lot of the other people that were there. Yeah, I come to be healed. Yeah, I come to be better. Oh God, I come with faith. Oh God, I get prayed for. Oh God, I do this and I do that. But it just don't seem to work for me. But for some reason, I just keep coming. It's interesting to me that Jesus cut to the chase. He didn't even acknowledge what that man said. Would you like to be healed? What I want to preach to you for just a few minutes today is what brought them there. You don't hear mercy explained in this. you got to dig to find it. But that's the means, a house of mercy. I don't know how many people even thought about that. And then it's surrounded by five porches, which is a type of grace. you got to dig to find that out. So that's not what it was known for. It wasn't known for its merciful, being merciful and being a place of grace that people could attend. But what it was known for is this man told Jesus, John told the story, and then after you read the story, John repeats it based on what this man says. I want everybody to listen. The man said, That at a certain season, nobody knew when, but a certain season, an angel, somebody say an angel. Not a devil, not a bad husband, not a bad wife, not bad kids, not a horrible job, not alcohol, not liquor, not dope, not all, none of that, none of that. No worldly stuff here. No demonic stuff here an angel came and troubled the water God allowed it God didn't do it God didn't do it he didn't say God troubled the water God allowed an angel to come and just stir it up man just get a boiling fervent this sight that you can't explain. There's no reason. There's no explanation. It's hard to define what happens periodically in the pool of Bethesda. It's interesting to me that the man said an angel came and did it. I don't know if you could see the angel. I hear often from church people that they witness the presence of angels. It's happened here in this sanctuary on this platform many times. I've never seen it. But I have felt their presence. God would allow an angel to come and trouble that water. 
How many people sitting here today, you believe the trouble in your life right now has been caused by a demon? The devil has my life so stirred up right now. I can't find answers. I can't find solutions. I can't find justification. It don't make sense to me. None of that. Have you ever considered that maybe an angel is troubling the water of your life? That all this upheaval and all of this I long to understand. And I long to make sense of what's happening. I don't know why I'm sick. I don't know why I have this disease. I don't know why I have this problem. I don't know why my marriage is in disarray. I don't know why my kids are in disarray. Have you ever thought, have you ever considered that just maybe God has dispatched an angel and told that angel, you go and you stir them up. You remember what the troubling of the water means? It's to cause someone to overflow with something. It didn't say good things. It just said something. That's what trouble means. Is it interesting to anybody today that the people did not come to the pool of Bethesda because it represented mercy and grace, but they came because the waters got troubled. And I can think of scores of people that have made their way to the house of God because their life is a mess. Their life is a wreck, but they always blame it on the devil. Could it be, could it be that your source of trouble is not from the devil, but God is allowing it? When Jesus entered into that area of Jerusalem called Bethesda, he wasn't attracted to the well people. He wasn't attracted to the religious people. He wasn't attracted to the perfect people. He wasn't attracted to people because they had served him diligently and faithfully all of their life. He didn't go to the synagogue, not that day. He did later, but not at that time was he at the synagogue. He didn't come. He didn't come to those who did not need him. He came to those that were in dire need of him. It wasn't grace that drew them. It wasn't mercy that drew them. It was troubled water. Somebody spread the news around town that, hey, if you're sick and you've got a problem, if you have anything going on in your life, you need to show up in Bethesda because it just might be the day that you're there that an angel will come down and just cause that pool to go absolutely berserk. He will tear up that pool. He's going to splash water and you're going to be perplexed by what's going on at this place. Here's, here's where it gets real tricky, Dale. This is where it gets real tricky. The man went on to tell Jesus. This is so paradoxical to me. 
I'm not talking about two harbors. It's unusual. A pair of docks. I'm sorry. We'll keep on going. <laughs> Didn't mean to drill that deep on y'all so quickly. But the man told Jesus, Brother James, when the angel comes and troubles the water, the first person that steps in it, these people are here with physical limitations. Some of them can't walk. Some of them can't hear. Some of them can't see. Some of them are paralyzed. How strange does that sound? But God is saying, if you want to be healed, you'll figure out a way to get into the water. And here comes a little four-letter word that we call fear. Who wants to step in troubled waters? Simon and Garfunkel sang a song in the late 60s, early 70s that talks about building a bridge over troubled water. And that's most of our solution to troubled water. We don't want in it. We don't want to be anywhere around it. We want to go over it. We want the easy way. We want somebody to fix us. The man said to Jesus, when the water is troubled, I have no man. I don't have any human assistance to get me into that water so I can be healed. That is the point. Let me move to another story in the New Testament that will sound very familiar. You remember when Jesus fed the multitudes and it came close to the end of the day and he told his disciples to get into a ship and go to the other side? Y'all remember that story? Okay, four people remember it. I need to do some Bible study, I guess. You listen to pastor. Everybody listen to me. Jesus was not going to ask them to get in a ship that did not have the ability to get them where he wanted them to go. I hope you're clapping your hands in agreement with that because to me that ship is a type of the church and God is not going to ask you to be part of a church that can't take you from here to the other side. There's nothing wrong with a church. Hallelujah to God. Sit down for a minute. I'm almost done. Y'all will be jubilant to know when I sent Casey my notes and whoever does the slides. She texted back and said, Dad, you only have three, four pages of notes? It is possible with God. All things are possible. And I hope you're sad that I'm concluding. I'm not feeling that right now, but I'm, you, know, you never know. There's nothing wrong with the church. God wasn't going to put them in a ship that was not going to take them 
to the other side. He knew what was coming. And he made sure that ship had enough mercy and enough grace to hold them until he got there. At the pool of Bethesda, that man had been there for, had that disease for 38 years. I don't know how long he came to the pool of Bethesda. The Bible doesn't say. But he'd been sick for almost a generation of people. But God knew. There's people here today that are fighting things in your life right now. And you can't figure it out even though you have been born and raised in the church. God put you in a place that would hold you by his mercy and by his grace until he came to you. Watch this. Watch. You may be seated. Y'all watch. You know the stormy sea? The disciples were terrified. Not because the ship was falling apart. But they saw a figure walking to them on their troubled water. They were terrified said it's a ghost and they were right because the later fulfillment of God and man was the Holy Ghost and he came to them walking on the waves and he told the angel I can hear it in my ear this is Murphy commentary going on here stir up the water whoever the angel was stirred up no I want more Stir it up more. Get this Sea of Galilee going out of its mind. You make this water turbulent. I will remind you to this day, the Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide and 14 miles long, surrounded by mountains. There can come storms up in a, just a few moments over the tops of those mountains that has winds of hurricane strength that could blow a greyhound bus off the highway. And I believe they were experiencing worse than that because Jesus is telling an angel, stir it up because I've got to manifest myself to them. They've got to see a side of me that they've never seen before. Oh, yes. So here he comes. The storm is raging, and we've all heard it. Preachers get as dramatic as they can with the story. The waves were 400 feet tall. The lightning was flashing 4,000 volts a second and generating exponential degrees of electricity. I've heard it preached every way you can imagine. And I don't think any of those illustrations matched the fear content that was in the heart of those 12 men on that boat. Some of them were experienced fishermen and they were experienced with this stuff. Jesus walks up beside that boat with this storm raging. And what did Peter say? We think we say it. We like to think we say it. 
But we would prefer Simon and Garfunkel's method. We say when the waters are troubled and we're looking Jesus in the eye, we pray for a bridge. God, get me out of this. God, prepare a way for me to get out of this. God, I can't endure this anymore. God, save me from this. God, build me a bridge. Send me a man. What did Peter say? Lord, if it be thou, build me a bridge. Lord, build me a bridge. Like a bridge over troubled water. It's not what Peter said. And I'm going to preach all of my might here today. There's people sitting in this building right now that you have been praying for a bridge out of your circumstance for a long time. God, build me a bridge. Send me somebody that has the answer to the dilemma that I'm in right now. Send me somebody. That's not Peter's prayer, Pam. That's not what he said. He said, Lord, if it's you, Shelly, Lord, if it's you, you bid me step in to the water. Boy, this is preaching. Man, this is preaching. I feel like an evangelist from 40 years ago. I do. As long as God is in reach of not my touch, but if he is in reach of the path that he's chosen me to take, I will come to you. I will abandon the ship. The church has been good for me, but now I'm going to get a little closer to God. And to do that, I'm going to have to step outside of the safety, security, the tradition of the church to get what I need from God. So, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you. Own the water, he said. And Jesus said, what? Oh, my goodness. We need to go through Sunday school class again or something. The answer to that question is come. So Jesus said, what? No, that's, that's not good enough either. You're in a bad storm. Your life is being ripped to pieces. There's people in this building. You know who I'm talking to. You feel this right now. There's people right now that don't know where to go and what to do with the rest of your life. And you're, I want you to challenge Jesus right now that if this is you, you bid me come and I will come to you through my horrible situation. I will come to you through fear. I will come to you in doubt. I will come to you in everything I've got. God, I'm coming. God, I'm coming. God, I'm coming. God, I'm coming. I think I'm feeling a little bit of what Brother Dave was feeling last Sunday. You may be seated. God, I'm coming.
I'm going to come to you through the conduit of all the mess that's going on in my life. I refuse that you build me a bridge. I want to walk through the storm to get to you. And Jesus says, come on. Y'all didn't hear me a minute ago, so I'm going to say it again. So Peter steps out over the side of that boat. And somehow or another, that, that water, it's going up and down and bouncing and shaking. But it just feels like I'm stepping out on concrete right now. I don't understand. It's solid footing. It might be a little bumpy and a little bit shaky because of the waves going up and down. But I'm standing on top. standing on top of this water. Check it out. Check this out. Peter shouts, I'm coming. Have y'all ever heard that? Have y'all heard that this year? Anybody? Hashtag, I'm coming. Hashtag, I'm coming. God true to form in his infinite wisdom allows Peter to sink on his way to Jesus. Allowed him to sink in the water. He did. Bible said Peter cried out, Lord save me. And Jesus reached down and pulled him up out of the water and they walked back to the ship. God even allows space and time and opportunity that even when you step out onto the troubled waters, you may fail. You may sink. You may make a mistake here and there. But just call out to him. He'll pick you up. My wonderful friend, Dale Pete, is here today, and it couldn't have been a more opportune time. Glad to have Dale and Kim here. I love these people dearly. Dale and I, he's given me permission to, to use this story as a conclusion to my sermon. He was in a motorcycle wreck a couple of months ago. I don't remember exactly when it was, a couple of months ago. And he told me last night, I asked him to kind of rehearse the thing again, and he did. He said he was on a road that he knew better to be riding a motorcycle home because it was so dangerous. And there was curves in that road, particularly one, that he knew riding a motorcycle, you had to be really, really careful. Up ahead of him, he saw three motorcycles, and I understand the feeling. I used to ride a motorcycle, and I've done the same thing myself. You see a, a bunch of riders, and so you just go and join up with them. And you ride in the very end, and you get in formation, and you can ride with them, and it, it's a really cool feeling. If you're not a biker, you don't understand it, perhaps. So we want to catch up with them. And between catching up with them and what have you, came that curve. Lost control of his motorcycle. Ended up in the ditch. And uh, they stopped, as bikers do, to see if he needed any help, but he said no, he was fine, he, he had it, and 
they, they rode on. He, he, he realized not long after that accident, just moments, seconds after it happened, he couldn't feel his legs. And he, he, he has some back issues, and uh, he thought perhaps he had injured his back, and perhaps now he would, he would be paralyzed from his waist down. Couldn't feel his legs. Burning, and uh, called paramedics. They carried him to the hospital. He told the emergency room staff there what he was feeling. And uh, they quickly realized that his condition was beyond what they could treat. And so they air flighted him to Houston. Needless to say, Kim and their two girls were in horrible disarray, didn't know what was going on, completely shocked by this. Motorcycle accident's one thing, but now he can't feel his legs and he has an intense burning and all that in his legs and back issues. And, but then they discovered that he had a large, very large aneurysm in his aorta that went all the way from his heart all the way up to the base of his skull going into his brain. And after some very intense study, exams, all of that, the doctors knew immediately they had to get to that as soon as possible to save his life. They did, and he's here today. What's interesting about this story, he never knew that he had an aneurysm on his aorta. It's interesting he told somebody that aneurysm was 14 inches long. Your aorta is only 12, 12 and a half inches long. It had literally gotten so big, it was doubling over. It was in a terrible place of about to rupture and literally explode on the inside of him. They got all of that taken care of, and he's here today. Thank God for that. But as he was recovering in the hospital, the doctor that, that took care of him came into his room in Houston and said, after examining tests and all that, you were about two days away from that aneurysm erupting and you would have been dead virtually instantly. God troubled the water. Dale made the most unusual statement. If you know anything about motorcycles, and most of you do, at least this. It's not if you're going to have an accident, it's when. But he said he's the only biker that God caused him to have, allowed him to have an accident to save him. Didn't kill him, it saved him. God troubled the world. So as you stand with me this morning, musicians come. I want someone to understand here today. That maybe what's going on in your life right now, you have been blaming the poor old devil for something he's not been had nothing to do with. The story of this man that was impotent for 38 years, his day finally came. And what attracted that man to have a rendezvous with God was not mercy, was not grace, but troubled water. 
That was a conduit for him to come part way and for Jesus to come the rest of the way. And Jesus did not even acknowledge his lack of faith, his doubt, his excuse. Well, Jesus, I've been this way for 38 years, and when the angel troubles the water, I have no man, and blah, 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 blah. Jesus said, will you be made whole? And he's asking somebody here today, will you? Are you willing to give up all the mess in your life? Are you willing to embark upon a journey that will be different from any you've ever had? I can promise you right now, Dale Pete is a different man than what he was a few months ago. God made an indelible impression on him and his wife. It changed his life. My life has been changed by the many, many times God has come to me through the conduit of trouble. God has a unique way. You know why I believe he does it? Because we have a hard time receiving him just on the basis of mercy and grace. It takes trouble oftentimes to cause us to rendezvous with the presence and power of God. Our reasoning is much like the, the man who said, I have no man, I, I don't have any help. Peter didn't need any help. He had 11 strong men behind him in that ship, that boat. But when he got out, he got out by himself. He didn't ask John to help him. Hey, man, come give me a hand while I'm stepping out. He didn't do that. He did it all by himself. He didn't call for anybody's help. And he did something in the wee hours of that morning that as far as I know, no one else has ever done. And that is to walk. I know in my spirit, I know in my heart today, there's people here right now that God is sending you a message via Pastor Murphy. And if you will come through the conduit of all your trouble, don't mask it, don't hide it. We're all here because we need him. We're all here because we need him. So you can come, suffer no, suffer no shame, embarrassment, nothing. You can come to him through the conduit of your trouble and God will set you free he will work on your mind he'll work in your attitude he'll even work with the people around you don't tell me that the miracle of that impotent man that day didn't impact people around that pool and I can't imagine what them disciples felt another wonderful friend here today is my brother-in-law but he's a wonderful friend I don't know what I'd do Ricky if I was sitting in a boat with you and Jesus walked up and you hopped out and started walking him on the water that'd be pretty amazing right there I wouldn't judge I wouldn't say anything negative I would have that big eyed emoji thing going on and there's people here today that if you would come through the conduit of your trouble you would inspire them to follow the conduit of theirs. So as they begin to sing here today, the 
praise team did amazing setting a platform for this message today. And I still feel it here today. But if you'll come, ministry team's going to help me. We're going to have an amazing altar service today. Because there's people that's going to come and say, God, I'm coming. God, I'm coming. Every change. 